with our thoughts today being on the Lord's table, the Lord's supper. Um, we're taking a bit of a a break today. I don't I don't want to say a break, a pause, but uh, for from Romans, and we will be reading some from Romans today. But but my thoughts were keep kept coming back to this passage in First Corinthians eleven. It's verses twenty three through twenty six. I believe I've said before that I have probably never been a part of a communion service, at least that I was leading or preaching, that I didn't read this particular portion of, of Scripture. And, and we sang a song this morning that says, I won't forget. And, and, and I kept coming back to this passage and where Paul is going to tell us of what Christ had said in the upper room to do these things in remembrance of him. Uh, so let's read 1 Corinthians 11 verses 23 through 26 and I'll be reading from the New King James version this morning. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's pray once again. Heavenly Father, as we come before your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and stir within each one. Lord, draw us all close to you. Help us to learn more of Christ. Help us to learn more of the reason He came to this earth, to go to the cross, to shed His blood, so that many, many may become sons and daughters, Father. So help us now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Do this in remembrance of me. And and as I kept pondering that, uh, I have read a a devotion of Charles Spurgeon from time to time through the years. And I kind of looked, tried to go through my notes, and I think it had been a year and a half or two years ago the last time I read this. And it is so good, I wanted to read this this morning. It it came from uh, the the collection of Charles Spurgeon, Morning and Evening, and this was in reference to uh, 1 Corinthians 11.24. And uh, it was entitled, Do This in Remembrance of Me. And this morning, even even in the prayer, talked about let this be a time to get refocused because sometimes we drift. I drift. I got a feeling you probably do too. At times, the situations of life come. We have things we've got to do. We have many things that we're about and taking care of. And sometimes we will get very focused on these things and have a moment of time perhaps where we forget such a great salvation which should always be at the forefront of our thinking. That in everything that we would say and do, it would all be to His honor and His glory. Amen? Everything, whether that's work or play, whatever, that it would all be for His glory. So I'm going to read this morning, and, and uh, Charles Spurgeon do this in remembrance of me. Quote, It seems then that Christians may forget Christ. 
There could be no need for this loving exhortation if there was not a fearful supposition that our memories might prove treacherous. Nor is this a bare supposition. It is, alas, too well confirmed in our experience. Not as a possibility, but as a lamentable, regrettable fact. Is that speaking to any of you so far? does me every time I read this. It appears almost impossible that those who have been redeemed by the blood of the dying Lamb and loved with an everlasting love by the eternal Son of God should forget that gracious Savior. But if startling to the ear, it is alas too apparent to the eye to allow us to deny the crime. Forget Him who never forgot us. Forget Him who poured out His blood forth for our sins. Forget Him who loved us even to death. Can it be possible? Yes, it is not only possible, but conscience confesses that it is too sadly a fault with all of us that we suffer Him to be a wayfaring man tarrying but for a night. He whom we should make the abiding tenant of our memories is but a visitor therein. The cross, where one would think that memory would linger and unmindfulness would be an unknown intruder, is desecrated by the feet of forgetfulness. Does not your conscience say that this is true? Do you not find yourselves forgetful of Jesus? Some creature or idol steals away your heart, and you are unmindful of Him upon whom your affection ought to set. (laughs) How true is that? How easily persuaded to think of other things that we make idols in our life. Some creature or idol steals away your heart, and you are unmindful of Him upon whom your affection ought to be set. Some earthly business engrosses your attention when you should fix your eye steadily upon the cross. It is the incessant turmoil of the world, the constant attraction of earthly things, which takes away the soul from Christ. While memory too well preserves a poisonous weed, it suffereth the rose of Sharon to wither. Spurgeon's phrasing, do you you understand what he's saying? We will fill our minds with things that are really poisonous to us. It's so easy, so easy to do with with internet and with everything so fast, instant, instant. We can can have stuff that will just take us away and yet maybe be poisonous to our mind while we, the rose of Sharon, Jesus Christ, withers. While memory too well preserves a poisonous weed, it suffereth the rose of Sharon to wither. Let us charge ourselves to bind a heavenly forget-me-not about our hearts, for Jesus our beloved. And let us hold fast to Him. Let us not forget Jesus. Let us not forget the cross. It was at the cross that Jesus emptied out His inmost self, pouring out His lifeblood, giving His all for us. How low was our dear Redeemer brought. He humbled Himself unto death. Stand at the foot of the cross. 
and count the red drops by which you have been cleansed. See the thorn crown. Mark his scored shoulders still gushing within crimson streams. See hands and feet given to the spikes of iron and his whole self to mockery and scorn. See the bitterness and the pangs and the throes of inward grief showing themselves in his upward frame. Hear the gripping shriek, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And if you do not lie prostrate on the ground before that cross, you have never seen it. If you are not humbled in the presence of Jesus, you do not know Him. You were so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think about that line. How true is that's how, how lost were you? How deep was your sin? How deep was mine? That, that to pay the price took the death of God's only begotten Son. You were so lost that nothing could save you but the sacrifice of God's only begotten. Think of that. And as Jesus stooped for you, bow yourself in lowliness at His feet. May the Lord bring us in contemplation to Calvary. Then our position will no longer be that of a forgetful, pompous man of pride but we shall take the humble place of one who loves much because much has been forgiven him. Pride cannot live beneath the cross. May we remember the words of Christ. Do this in remembrance of me. End quote. How good is that? How good is that for a reminder of the cross? And... Jesus has given us this as an example, as a reminder, that this can be a reminder of what happened some 2,000 years ago. Because we remember the scene, right? He had gathered with His disciples in the upper room. And why were they there? To partake of the Passover. Well, what was the Passover? Well, quite simply, it was a memorial. Uh, it looked back to the Exodus from Egypt. We're not going to go there and read it today, but you can read it in, in Exodus, the 11th chapter. And, and you remember the plagues, the plagues that came upon the land and upon the people and upon all that was going on there. And you remember the last plague. You remember specifically what it was. That, that they were told that the, an angel of death was going to be coming and for your household to be protected what did they have to do? Do you, you remember the story, right? They had, they had to, they had to take a, a perfect lamb, unblemished, unspotted lamb, and they would kill it. They would take the blood, and, and what did they do with the blood? They, they put it above uh, the, the lintel and on the doorposts. And then when the angel would come, they would see the blood, and all those inside would be saved from the wrath of God that was coming in judgment. Now friends, that's a picture of what's to come, is it not? That's a perfect picture of what's to come. Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Do you have the blood of Jesus above the doorpost of your heart? So that one day the wrath of God will pass over you. 
See, in the day, that sacrificial lamb was offered up for the remission of sin, but, but no mere lamb ever satisfied God except His lamb, Jesus Christ. Let's go to Hebrews 10. Let's go to Hebrews 10, verses 1 through 14. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come. Now I'm going to pause there just for a minute. We have the Old Testament for our learning and for our example, yes? It is types and shadows of that which was to come. So keep that in mind. Types and shadows, that, that Passover, that, that that happened with the blood of the Lamb, a type and a shadow of what was to come later with Jesus Christ going to the cross. So, for the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would have not... For then would they not have ceased to have been offered? Do you see what it's saying? These sacrifices were done every year, every year, every year, over and over again to cleanse them from their sin. Well, if they could have been perfectly cleansed, why would they have to keep doing it? That's what he's saying. For the worshipers, once purified, would, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a, re, a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he, when Jesus, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you, talking to God the Father, you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sins, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book. It is written of me to do your will, O God. Uh, what was the will of God? That He would come. That He would be the sacrifice for sin. That was the will of God. Verse 8. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offerings, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them which are offered according to the law. Now let me pause here again because that's the second time we've read that phrasing, didn't it? Where Jesus said to the Father, You did not desire these things. And you may go, well, What do you mean He didn't desire it? He's the one that implemented it. But if He implemented it, so that it would be a type and a shadow of that which was to come. It, it was implemented so it would be the framework of something to come, something greater, something more perfect, which is Christ. Do we see that? Verse 9. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second, the first covenant, the new covenant in the blood of Christ. Verse uh, 10. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. <laughs> but listen, but this man, <laughs> this Jesus, this Redeemer, this Savior, you see, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, Set down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. <laughs> praise the Lord, child of God. Praise the Lord. That, that if you are in Christ, you are being perfected forever. Are you perfect now? Still walking around in this body of flesh? No, not yet. Not yet, but you are being perfected.
perfected. You're being sanctified. We're all, every child of God is being molded more and more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. Jesus came to be that perfect lamb, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that, that perfect Passover lamb. Jesus, our Passover. That's, that's from 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7. We could read it. Jesus is now our Passover. Therefore, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. See, Christ is now our Passover. We no longer sacrifice a lamb. We no longer do those things which were just types and shadows. You see, in God's timing, in God's due time, the true lamb of God would die. The veil of the temple, what happened when Christ died on the cross? Torn from top to bottom. The system of sacrifice, the Levitical system came to an end at that moment. Jesus came to be the once and forever perfect sacrifice for sin. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Just once. Not to be repeated. Once. Perfect sacrifice. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust. Him being the just. Me and you being the unjust. Why? Why would He do such a thing? That He might bring us Put yourself in the verse that He might bring you, child of God, that He might bring you to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. See, Jesus came for one purpose, to go to the cross, to suffer, to die upon that cross. In Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 10. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. And let me pause. What do you mean made lower than the angels? He made the angels. Oh, what's this talking about? It's talking about his incarnation. At that moment, he lay aside his glory, and he took upon flesh. The Word became flesh. We sang it in one of the songs this morning. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He became, at that moment, in the scheme of God's plan, lower than the angels. But we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. Why? Why would you do that? For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. That's why he came. That's why he came. For the suffering of death, he came for the cross. And in his death, he was crowned with glory. Let, let's, let's read a passage uh, that, that we read from earlier when we, when we sang one of the songs. Uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. 
That's him coming to earth. That's incarnation. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He came that he might bring many sons and daughters to glory through his suffering upon the cross. He became the captain of our salvation, highly exalted and given a name which is above every name. We sang that song this morning, He is Lord, He is Lord. The captain, the leader, the author of our salvation. Hebrews 5 verse 9 tells us that. Hebrews 5 verse 9 says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Hebrews 5 9. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. He came to earth to be the author of eternal salvation. He came to die. He came to pay the penalty uh, for sin for all who would believe. Again, we read this verse uh, before we sang that song, Jesus Messiah, this morning. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For He, God, made Him, Jesus Christ's only begotten Son, for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, for me, that we, that I, might become the righteousness of God in Him. Matthew 26, verse 28. For this, this is Jesus talking, for this is my blood of the new covenant. Remember, he took away the first, that may he establish the second, the new covenant in his blood. For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Why? For the remission of sins. See, there's a, a payment for sin, yes? There's a penalty for sin. There is a cost. There is a wage for sins. We, we've been going through the book of Romans, Romans 6.23. You know this. For the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the only two options there is. If you die in your sin, your sins are not covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, your eternity will be an eternity of suffering forevermore. In hell, that's 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 it. For for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. We have been redeemed. Our sins have been covered by the blood. And we shall live forevermore with Him. Every person on the face of this planet has eternal life. But, but there's only two destinations that they will spend it. Only two. Because who has sinned? All. Romans 3.23, you know the verse. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God provided for Himself a lamb, a perfect sacrifice for sin in Jesus Christ, that all who believe in Him should not perish, 
but rather have eternal life. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Paul gave us a pretty clear uh, definition or a, a wording of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15, the first eight verses. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 8. Here's the gospel. Anybody says, well, what's the gospel? You turn here, read this to him. Moreover, brethren, this is the Apostle Paul talking. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, but which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. Now, there's a whole another series of sermons just in that part right there. Verse 3, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. There's part of the Gospel. And that He was buried. Part of the Gospel. All of that scene. And that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. I love the lyric that, that we sang this morning. I hope you did too. I love that when we get to the part of that song, Glorious Day. Death could not hold Him. The grave could not keep Him from rising again. And that's true, isn't it? It couldn't hold Him. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that He was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. You know, what He was saying was some have died. And when He said they've fallen asleep, they have, they have died. But many of these, I think this was written, if I'm remembering correctly, some 20-something years after the resurrection. I should have looked that up so I know for sure. But what Paul is saying there, look, if you don't believe me, there was a group of 500 that at one time saw the resurrected Christ. If you don't believe me that He rose from the dead, you go and ask some of the eyewitnesses. See, that's what he was saying. And then verse 7, And after that he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me as one born out of due time. And talking about him coming to, to Christ on that road to Damascus. See, that's the gospel. For all who by faith believe, believe the gospel, will be saved. Will be saved from the wrath of God that will come to all unbelievers. There's believers and unbelievers. No other category. No other category. Let's read John 3, verses 14 through 18. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Lifted up on the cross. This had to happen. This had to happen. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Okay, everybody got that? There's no, therefore now no condemnation to them who is in Christ. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But listen, but listen. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Two categories. Believers, unbelievers. 
See, the gospel, Jesus came to this earth to be the perfect sacrificial lamb, to give his life a ransom for many, to pay in full the penalty of sin for all those who would believe. And then the question that I'll ask, that I ask probably every Sunday is this, very simple, do you believe? And is it a, is it a belief under eternal salvation? Because many people know about Jesus. And they believe that there was a man in history, Jesus. And that kind of belief won't save you. But a belief in knowing that He is God's only begotten Son who came to die on a cross to pay sin's penalty for you, believing that gospel will save you, will save you. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? Have you believed? See, as the Holy Spirit would come and open your eyes to truth. You know, we, we, sang, we sang a song this morning that, that had lyrics, and, and I hope you paid attention to them. It says, and how by death you gave me life. And how you overcame my darkness with your light. And, and, and there it is. We were all once darkness. Sin. The darkness of sin. Far from the covenant of promise. We were in darkness. But one day, if you're born again, if you're truly a child of God, one day... By a miracle that only God Himself can do, He revealed Himself. Light shone into darkness so that you might see. So that you might see Most Holy God, so that you might see your sin, and knowing that you're a sinner before a Most Holy God should cause you to tremble because at that moment you would truly know what your end would be without Him. And so then what? Then we confess our sins to Him. We receive, we receive Jesus Christ as Lord. We believe. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, which would then be in, in us, we would follow Him the remainder of our days. Hey, you know, I love that lyric, that the second verse of that song that I was talking about. says, born of the Spirit, now I can see. See, before before we had the Holy Spirit in us, we couldn't see. that The message of the cross was nothing but foolishness. And perhaps some who's listening to this message, it's all a fairy tale. It's nothing but foolishness. Until the Holy Spirit, and still we're enlightened and still, until God draws us to Himself. Then born of the Spirit, now I can see. 
I can see all those things that I heard before, those messages that I heard, those verses that I heard. They're true. And now I can see. And now I can see. Redeemed. Purchased by the blood of Christ. Let me read just a few more verses. Ephesians 1 verse 7. Ephesians 1 7. In Him, in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. There's no other way. There's no other way to God the Father. There's no other way to receive forgiveness for sins than through Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. No other way. And in some one well-meaning soul, well, what about the Islams? What about the Buddhists? What about all these? There is no other way to God the Father except through Jesus Christ. Period. There's not many ways to God the Father. There is one way. Through Christ. Through Christ. In Him we have redemption. Only through Christ. In Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Remember what I was talking about. We were once all darkness. Well, He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us, (laughs) has moved us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption. And again, look, through His blood, the sacrifice upon the cross, the forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 through 21. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. See, that's how we were redeemed. Verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you. Talking of the incarnation, made manifest, made visible, that we might see Him, but was was manifest in these last times for you, who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Romans 3, verses 24 through 26. Being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood, a payment, a ransom by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance. God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. Why? To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus, the sacrificial Lamb, the Lamb who was slain for our sins, Jesus came to be our payment for sin. Why? Revelation 5, verses 9 and 10. Revelation 5, 9 and 10. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And listen to this. Child of God, listen to this. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Our redemption is only through the sacrifice of Christ. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God 
by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests through our God and we shall reign on the earth. Through Christ. It's all through Christ. It's all through Christ. Born again believer, he has redeemed us to God. One last verse, Psalms 107, verses 1 and 2. Psalm 107, 1 and 2. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his mercy endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Don't you like that, child of God? Don't you like that verse? Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Through worship, through praise, tell of such a great salvation for what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come now to the Lord's table, I pray that you would bring to mind all the reminders from your word that that we've talked about this morning and and the lyrics of the wonderful psalms that we have sung this morning. Father, I pray that you'd help us, that that we would remember, that we would do this in remembrance of Christ, remembering what He has done on our behalf. So, Father, bless those who will participate this morning, just giving thanks for such a great salvation. Father, that we can know, we can know that it is true. As, as surely as we can, we can come by this little table and, and pick up that little piece of bread and hold it in our hand, that's as, as sure as we can know that Jesus Christ gave Himself upon the cross. And as sure as we can pick up that little cup of juice and, and drink it and taste it, that's how sure we can know that Jesus Christ died and gave His blood a sacrifice for sin upon that cross. So, Father, I ask that you would bless the table, bless the the bread and the juice before us. Father, help, help every child of God to come in obedience to what you have asked. Do this in remembrance of me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.